Welcome back to Tubbs at the Club for your 2018-2019 University of Idaho men's basketball update. This is Brian. We've had three games since our last recording. We went one and two in those games. We're going to get to those in a second. But first, I want to go over how the team's doing overall. We sit at three and six, which puts us in eighth place out of 11 Big Sky teams. In terms of our non-conference schedule performance, we're ranked 281 out of 353 in Ken Palm rankings. Ken Palm rankings are similar to Sagarin rankings in football. It's an analytic metric that combines your in-game performance with your strength of schedule. Gives you a basic profile of how your team is. It's alleged that Vegas uses Ken Palm rankings to set lines. I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate, but Ken Palm's been a name in college basketball for a long time. It's a generally reliable metric to look at your team through. Now, overall, non-conference scheduling isn't a great metric to compare Big Sky teams against one another because there is just a gulf between the strength of schedule from one team to another. Some of that has to do with how much money the, the school budgets for sports, which relates to how many buy games read power five games the teams have to take part in a lot of teams do what we did this year as well which is they will schedule a couple games against naia or division two opposition and performance against those teams if you look at the mean scores for example points per game turnovers per game rebounds per game those can artificially inflate the numbers of those teams so it is pretty tough at this point to look at non-conference performance and have any idea about how teams compare with each other other than to see that a either some teams are scheduling quite tough and doing poorly or b some teams are scheduling not as tough and they're doing fine but overall northern colorado sits atop the conference at five and one sacramento state this is a bit of a surprise but remember uh, this should be taken with a grain of salt because teams don't always have incredibly tough non-conference schedules Sacramento State is number two in conference at four and two. Five teams have records between five and three and five and four. At five and three, we have Montana, Portland State, Southern Utah, and Idaho State. Montana's a surprise out of that group. Five and three is a bit disappointing for them at this point. None of their losses are what we'd call bad or embarrassing losses. They've had a relatively tough non-conference schedule where they've played probably three to four teams that should expect to be NCAA tournament teams. But at this point, with what Montana had returning and, and with some of the transfer players that had coming in, uh, people like myself thought Montana's ceiling on the year would not be just making the NCAA tournament, but maybe winning a game in the NCAA tournament. So if that's your reference point, five and three is a little disappointing for them. For Portland State, Southern Utah, and Idaho State, five and three uh, is a record all of those teams should be happy with. Weber State is also five and four, which is another another example of a team that's a little bit disappointing relative to expectations. The conventional wisdom going into the years that Montana and Weber State were their own tier within the Big Sky. Those two teams would walk away with the one and two seed heading into the Big Sky tournament, and we should expect those two would be playing for the NCAA tournament berth. Now, again, like I said, grain of salt. There's no reason to believe at this point that Montana and Weber State won't be playing each other at the at the end of the Big Sky Tournament down in Boise. But nine games in for Weber State, I can guarantee they feel that five and four is not where they were hoping to be. Now, another 
way we can try to look at some teams and compare them within the big sky is if we have any common opponents. And there's a handful. One that stands out for me because Idaho played them is UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara, as of this recording, is six and two. They have four total big sky games. They're four and zero in big sky play. They beat us 55 to 66 early in the year. They also beat Montana State 88 to 69. They beat Portland State 76 to 69. And they beat Sacramento State 75 to 58. Now, what does that tell us about us in relation to UCSB? Well, UCSB looks like they'd be a very good Big Sky team. Uh, but other than that, the gap between our, our result against UCSB and every other team against UCSB, which was, like I said, Montana State, Portland State, Sacramento State. Montana State's record overall is three and six. Portland State is five and three. Sacramento State is four and two. All those teams, they look, based off just using UCSB, like they're probably within striking distance of each other, which is why even though we only have one Division One win so far this year, which we should be a little disappointed about. Fans should not think that Idaho is going to just crash and burn throughout the rest of the year. My initial projection for the team was I was hoping for around 16 wins. We're 3-6 and six right now. We'd have to go 13-11 and 11 in our remaining games to get to 16 wins. Um, I can't tell if 13-11 and 11 is generous because, again, we, we need to see what Big Sky play looks like. Big Sky play starts December 29th. Now, in terms of how... Idaho did since our last recording. Like I said, we had three games total. We went one and two. First game we had was against North Dakota in Grand Forks, North Dakota. We beat the Fighting Hawks, formerly the Fighting Sioux, 67 to 54. Now, a thing we talked about in the last podcast is Idaho playing well in the first half and then just face planting in the second half. That did not happen in Grand Forks. We trailed by two at the half. And we won the second half convincingly, outscoring North Dakota 41-26. to In that game, Trayvon Allen led all scorers with 19 points on 17 shots, including four assists, four steals, and zero turnovers. Cameron Tyson, freshman, scored 13 points on eight shots, including four of seven from a three. Jared Rodriguez almost had a double-double with nine points and eight rebounds. Our next game was against Washington State in Pullman, where we lost 70-90. to that is where our half-to-half inconsistency came back. We trailed 40-45 to at half. Then we were blitzed by 15 in the second half, losing 30-45. to Again, total score, was we lost 70-90. to Trayvon Allen scored 17 points on 14 shots in that game, grabbed seven rebounds. He shot only one of seven from three, but he did shoot six of seven from twos. Cameron Tyson had his first bad game of the season in Pullman, Scored only three points on one of nine shooting. Didn't get to the free throw line. But not getting to the free throw line is typical of his game at this point. Um, also, Jared Rodriguez and Markel Frazier each scored 10 points in Pullman. And then our most recent game was last Saturday against CSU Bakersfield in Moscow in Memorial Gym. That was our last game in M- Memorial Gym. We lost that one 67-73. It was close throughout the entire time. Uh, the result was really in doubt until the final two minutes of play. Um, our effort was relatively steady. Uh, CSU outscored us by three points each half. In that game, Trayvon Allen led us in scoring with 15 points on 11 shots, along with four rebounds, four assists, and three turnovers. Cameron Tyson had his second tough game. It wasn't as bad as in Pullman. He scored 12 points but needed 15 shots to get there. He scored all his points on threes, 
shooting four of 12 from three, missed all three of his two-point shots, and he also had three turnovers. Gino West had his second consecutive double-figure scoring night, putting up 13 points on eight shots. And Mark L. Frazier, again, scored 10 points, this time off the bench. So in, in terms of how do we put those games into context, our first win against North Dakota. Well, North Dakota is 5-5 five and five overall. They also have a loss to Montana State, who is 3-6. and six. I can't tell if North Dakota is a bad or okay team, but they do have five wins, which we don't have five wins. So at the very least, we should say that's a win we're happy about, not not a win we should expect at this point. Washington State, who beat us by 20, they're five and three overall. They just lost to Montana State, uh, but Washington State also beat Nickel State, a team we lost to by three in Moscow. Washington State looks like they're probably a little better than they were last year. Uh, they look like they probably are definitely better than us, not just because they beat us by 20, but based off being five and three, based off some other wins. And CSU Bakersfield, they're five and four. They also have a win over Weber State. We stayed close to CSU Bakersfield, and we know they have at least one good win. Um, I would like, to, I would, I of course would like us to have come out of those three and zero. But if our team is staying close in games and being competitive relative to our youth. I think we as fans should be happy. Again, we're we're three and six overall. And what I'm seeing from our team is right now we are athletically talented. We have some very good basketball players, but the players' strengths are either mismatching or overlapping. And I I just believe it cannot be stressed how much this team was recruited and shaped with the expectation that Nate Sherwood would be playing. And his absence, which is going to be there for the rest of the season, it's a medical issue. His absence is going to exacerbate our weaknesses. And it's also going to diminish some of our strengths for maybe the entire year, but at least until we get a little more consistency out of the younger players. Growing pains, which we talked about last podcast, are often related to inconsistency and some of the inconsistency, I don't think we as fans should expect to go away immediately. It's problems that I want our team to deal with. And right now, our team, when we lose, it's because of a combination of four factors. Now, these four factors don't always take place with each other, but it's usually two to three of these four things that happen that lead us to faceplant in the second half. Those things are controlling the ball, specifically uh, turnovers and points off turnovers, which this relates directly to point guard play. We're going with a point guard by committee right now. Second is controlling the paint defensively, which for us means second chance points. Now, I know I said defensively, and that sounds like, are we sticking with our men? What I mean is getting rebounds. And our team is not getting out-rebounded overall, but second chance points have been a killer for us in multiple games. Another area that kills us is just poor three-point shooting and having a difficulty getting good shots. These factors are all compounded by lack of wing and lack of post-depth in addition to poor point guard play. Now, most of our turnovers have come at the point of attack or initiating the offense, and Nate Sherwood would have done absolutely nothing to help us there. We've also struggled with some pretty basic point guard functions, for example, against CSU Bakersfield. Our guys really struggled with CSU's full-court press, and their full-court press, this was not Norman Richardson in Arkansas, you know, 40 minutes of hell. This was really just a nominal press 
where they wanted to slow us bringing the ball up and the turnovers that took place. It wasn't because they have these six, nine athletes flying around intercepting passes, the turnovers and problems we had in relation to, let's say burning a lot of the shot clock. Those were all self-inflicted. And a lot of that, what it looked like was two things. One, there were times where it was just way too difficult for us to get the ball across the floor, across half court line against the CSU press. Now, to me, a lot of that relates to the fact that we are not playing anyone who looks like a natural point guard at point. Xavier Smith is the closest thing I believe this team has to a natural point guard. He has fallen out of favor with Verlin in the last few games. I'm not a practice. I can't tell you why. I can tell you that he has had consistency problems in terms of turning over the ball. He is pretty good at driving, but he is not a great shooter. Like I've talked about in prior podcasts, we have had some shooting difficulties. And the, the guards who have been playing point guard, they're what they look like are combo guards, which combo guard is usually a euphemism for a shooting guard who is shorter, but is not tall enough to guard wings. So we put him at the point. Uh, Gino West has been playing point for us, but Markel Frazier, who's a wing, has had some point guard duties. Trayvon Allen is, has had some point guard duties as well, but we're playing him mostly off the ball which I think is the right thing. But against CSU Bakersfield, like I said, we were really struggling with their press and getting the ball up. We had a few turnovers that were really just, they were killer for us. And they were, they were just dumb. They were us making bad plays, not the CSU's defense making good plays. But also we had way too many times where we could not even initiate our offense. And when I say that, I mean get the ball within 24 feet of the basket until there's eight seconds left on the shot clock. That's a real problem. Now, that is part of the growing pains in that, you know, if Gino West is going to be a guy we play at point guard, then he may take time to get comfortable with that. He showed later on in the game uh, some comfort driving and kicking in a way I hadn't seen before. So, hey, maybe there is some growth. And if we're going to be playing some guys at point or nominal point guard who are not natural point guards who haven't been playing it their whole lives, we should expect some consistency issues. But that really was a problem. And when a team with three guards on the floor or four guards on the floor cannot start initiate their offense till there's, you know, seven seconds left on the shot clock, that's going to inhibit a lot of the options you have. Now back to the, to where Nate Sherwood would help us in terms of controlling the paint. Nate Sherwood last year was one of our top rebounders at six rebounds per game. In terms of three point shooting, uh, Nate Sherwood right now, he would be our second best shooter. He shot 48% on threes last year. He only shot about one per game. So it wasn't a great volume. But he he was, at worst, a steady three-point shooter. And Nate Sherwood was also a solid positional rebounder. But most importantly to me, the thing that we lost with him was positional flexibility. With, with Nate Sherwood in the lineup, we would have been able to do what we're doing now, which is play with one post. So right now we start Scott Blakeney as our five. We could have just had Sherwood start in his place. Uh, but instead of having a five who on offense can uh, clog the paint for penetration because Blakeney is not a threat to shoot. Um, Sherwood could have created openings with his ability to shoot from three-point range. But it's not just having another shooter on the floor. We only have two wings who are not guards, Jared Rodriguez and Markel Frazier. With, With Sherwood on the floor, we would have had the ability to play two posts if we wanted to with Blakeney at the five and Sherwood at the four. And even though Sherwood was most certainly not a wing in terms of being a guy that you want handling the ball a lot, his shooting would have given us the space to play with a bigger lineup, but not have the offense 
contract in a way that playing with a bigger lineup some, sometimes can. For example, we could have played with Blakeney at the five, Sherwood at the floor, Jared Rodriguez at the three. That would give us three players who are six foot or eight or bigger, and we would have been able to have three to four shooters on the floor and have only one non-shooter that defenses can sag off from at all. Not having that flexibility where Sherwood could play as a one, in a one-post lineup or a two-post lineup significantly has significantly impacted the, the types of lineups that Don Verlin can use. And I want to go through a few of our games that, to illustrate the problems that poor rebounding, poor shooting, and turning the ball over too much have wrought for us. You know, against UC Irvine, we lost by 18 we won the turnover battle that game. We turned the ball over eight times. They turned the ball over 10 times. But UC Irvine converted our eight turnovers into 15 points. We only converted their 10 turnovers into four points. That 11 points is a big deal. And in addition to that, they scored 14 second chance points compared to four from us. Again, that's a rebounding thing. Sherwood could help. Against Nickel State, who we lost by 3-2. Now this goes back to point guard play. We turned the ball over 18 times. They turned turned the ball over nine times. We lost by three, but we doubled their turnovers and they turned our 18 turnovers into 22 points. We turned their nine turnovers into four points. Against UCSB, who we lost lost to by 11, second chance points was the game. We... They scored 17 second chance points. We scored six. Having an extra post who can rebound and who can spread the floor might be able to turn that number 11 into three. Against North Dakota, who we, we beat by 13, the reason we beat them was because we shot incredibly well. We shot 49% from the field, including 58% from the three. Again, we were we were killed in points off turnovers. They scored 17 points off of our turnovers. We scored 10 off theirs. And they also outscored us by 10 on second chance points, 14 to 4. Against Washington State, who we lost by 21, we turned the ball over seven more times than they did, 11 turnovers to four. Our starting point guard that game, Gino West, had as many turnovers as the entire w- WSU team. And again, they turned our turnovers into points. Their points off turnovers was 17 we converted their four turnovers to a total of six points. Against CSU Bakersfield, who we lost the game by six in a game that was close, we turned the ball over nine more times than them. They outscored us in points off turnovers 20 to one. And they also had 16 more second chance points than we did 26 to 10. Now, when we have those systemic problems of turning the ball over, other teams turning our turnovers into points in a way that we don't, And even if we are rebounding okay in comparison to the other team, the other team is reliably getting more second chance points than we do. We just have a very thin margin for error to be able to win games when we are seeding 11 points and 16 points consistently to advantages teams can plan around. Now, last year, though we didn't necessarily have these types of problems, we also had individual players who can help make up for those difficulties. We had first-team all-conference post B.J. Blake. We also had Vic Sanders, who was not first-team all-conference. I believe he was second-team, but he was by far our best player. And to me, talent-wise, he was one of the top four players in the conference. This year, we, we have two quite good or quite solid guards, Cameron Tyson and Trayvon Allen. Both of them have specific things they're strong with, but they also have some pretty meaningful shortcomings at this point in their career that stop either of them from being the type of singular force 
that can make up for the amount of ground we are spotting teams by allowing the, the amount of second chance points or by the amount of turnovers and points off turnovers we get up. Cameron Tyson is shooting around 50% from threes at around seven threes per game. That is incredible relative to his volume. That, that's incredible, in ter- not just in Big Sky play, not just in our team. I mean, nationwide, that is incredible. But Cameron Tyson cannot create his own shot. He needs to have someone screen to get him open. He needs the defense just execute poorly, or he needs to have plays run to help get him a shot. And in our last two losses, we've seen what it looks like without his typical and efficient production. Trayvon Allen, who started the season off quite slow, slow enough, you know, he made one of his first 12 two-point shots. His start was so slow that I was curious whether he was even going to be playable going forward. But he's picked up a ton. He's our leading scorer at 14.6. Cameron Tyson's at around 14.4. So they're essentially tied in terms of overall scoring. Uh, Trayvon Allen's also averaging 3.7 assists per game to 1.2 turnovers per game, which is a 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. He is not the problem with turnovers to me. And he's also one of the only shot creators on the team. When I say shot creator, I mean he doesn't always have to have a play run to get his, his shot. He can receive the ball at the wing or the top of the key, and he can go to work uh, through just a straight line drive or through taking a dribble and pulling up. Now, the shortcoming he has right now is he is just getting zero easy points. He's shooting 26% on threes while shooting over four threes per game. So he's not going to get, he's not getting the the kind of threes he had last year where he shot around 35% from threes, but they were all wide open threes. They were all off secondary action when a guy like Vic Sanders would penetrate. Those aren't the shots Trayvon Martin's getting anymore. And he's converting at a much worse rate, which isn't shocking because in our first two seasons, he did not look like an elite three-point shooter shooting 36% on relatively easy three-point shot attempts, at least in comparison to the types of threes he's taken now. But also, even though he can, he has been a creator and he will put the ball on the floor and try to create his own offense, he just doesn't get to the free throw line. Now that translates to in a guard is it usually means one, he isn't able to initiate contact similar to how, let's say, James Harden does. Not knowing in the big sky is exactly like that. But that's a way that people who are smaller get to the free throw line is they put the ball on the floor and by getting it, driving past their defender, either their defender fouls them or the help defender fouls them. Trayvon Allen is not getting past his guys. He's getting into the paint. He's getting, he's getting into a position where he can take shots, but a lot of his shots are mid-range or driving shots, and the driving shots are when he is not able to angle his body in front of his defender for a layup shot. So it is still, from a non-basketball person perspective, it still looks more or less like a shot and not a layup. And that's why he's averaging about 1.1 points per shot, which is really not that good. He's getting as many field goal attempts per game this year as Vic Sanders did as a senior. But because Trayvon is not getting easy points on the free throw line, he's not getting those easy points through made threes. And because he can't turn the corner on his defenders at this point, unless it's in transition, he's averaging four and a half points less on the same number of shots. And that's the difference between being a solid player in this league and being all conference. And at this point, our team either has to figure out how to quit seeding so much ground, whether that's getting a better answer at point guard play, just getting better point guard play from what we have, whether that means changing our offense. At this point, this team has to 
either quit seeding so much ground through turnovers, points off turnovers, and second chance points, or we're just going to have to shoot like we did against North Dakota to win games, where again, we shot 49% from the field against North Dakota, 58% from three. We're gonna get. We're gonna be able to quit seeding ground by getting improved point guard play. If the guys that we have are the right guys, or if the right guy is on the roster, which we also may not know that at this point. That is one of the things that Don Verlin is finding out this year. Is this isn't something that is often talked about when we think about college basketball, but from year to year, the scholarship is not a four year contract. Now, the goal, of course, when we recruit a guy and give him a scholarship, is not to boot him just because we had a year that didn't go too well. But there is year-to-year turnover on basketball teams that isn't just graduation. For example, uh, two years ago, Tyler Brimhall was on our team. He didn't play very much. He transferred out and went to North Idaho College. That's an example of turnover when the guy did not graduate. There is a chance our roster will have some turnover or attrition like that, where either a scholarship is not offered or the player decides they they like the idea of playing time elsewhere. But the chance that point guard play is not going to improve with the current roster, that is on the table. Now, I don't expect that to be the, the end result, but it is something as fans we need to understand that even though these guys are young, even though we have a lot of scholarship guys who are freshmen, sophomores, there's a chance the problems on this roster won't correct themselves by the end of the year, and they will be addressed via recruitment, even though at this point, it seems like there are no scholarships to be offered. That is not 100% the case. We're going to see what that looks like at the end of this year. Of course, my hope is that the current guys improve. The goal is that Don Verlin feels he has the answer, whether it means Xavier Smith comes back and plays more like he had been earlier in the year, or whether it means Geno West is just going to have to be more comfortable playing as a point guard. We saw a little bit of that against CSU Bakersfield, where he had a couple plays where he drove in and kicked out to the wing for open threes in a way he really didn't do very much before. So we may get some internal growth by our our players playing and maturing, but the advantages we're giving up are pretty big. And if this team isn't able to make those advantages via turnovers and rebounding less of a deal, we're going to be in trouble because this season, I don't think we have that all-conference difference maker. We're nine games in. If we had a guy who was going to average 25 a game, we would have seen it by now. The reason Cameron Tyson's not averaging 20, even though he is shooting an incredible percentage, is because he cannot create his own shot at this point in his career. And the reason Trayvon Allen isn't averaging around 20 like Vic Sanders did, even though he's getting the exact same opportunities, is he's not the same driver or same shooter that Vic Sanders was. That isn't to put down those players because they're doing quite well. And a lot of Vandals should be happy with the performance of those two. But if you look at a team that's three and six, even though they have talented pieces, there's got to be a reason why they're three and six. And for us, it's the mix of we give up too much ground systemically and we don't have that blue chip player on the roster at this moment who can be a difference maker to that extent. Now, as far as upcoming games, between now and the beginning of Big Sky play, we have two games left. The first is this Saturday, December 15th at 3 p.m. in Cowan Spectrum, our first game in Cowan Spectrum against Nebraska Omaha of the Summit League. Nebraska Omaha is three and seven overall, though five of their losses are to power con are to power five teams. All those five losses were on the road. I don't think you should necessarily throw all five of them out because if Nebraska Omaha was very good, they 
probably would have come away with a win or two. But keep in mind, three and seven isn't necessarily reflective of their talent. Their Ken Palm ranking is 223, which again, our Ken Palm ranking is 281. They beat Montana State earlier in the year, 89 to 65, but they also lost to Northern Arizona, who does not look to be great. No one predicted they'd be great this year, and they haven't done anything non-conference to prove anyone wrong. They lost to NAU, 66 to 76. Nebraska Omaha is led by senior Zach Jackson. He's averaging 19.8 points per game, shooting 46.8% from three on 4.7 attempts per game. The second leading scorer is JT Gibson, another guard, averaging 13.8 points per game on 43.9% from three on 6.6 three-point attempts per game. Nebraska Omaha, Nebraska Omaha is a team that likes to shoot some threes. You can watch them, again, that's Saturday in Moscow at 3 p.m. You can watch that on Pluto TV or watch Big Sky. Our last non-conference game is December 21st. That's Friday at Santa Clara of the West Coast Conference at 7 p.m. Santa Clara is 4-6 and six overall. Their Ken Palm ranking is 265. They have lost to UC Irvine, 49-61, who we played UC Irvine earlier, lost to them as well. Santa Clara also beat Northern Arizona, 81-74, and they lost to Idaho State, 66-68. They're led by sophomore guard Taj Eddy, who's averaging 15.7 points per game, shooting 39% from the field and 39% from three. This game, it was not referenced on GoVandals.com where you can watch it. Likely it'd be watch ESPN or ESPN Plus based off my experience with West Coast Conference games, but you will need to check on your own because like I said, GoVandals does not have that listed at present. And our last piece we're going to get to is a little bit of national news the Big Sky made in November. Jeff Goodman, former ESPN reporter now with Stadium Sports, published an article ranking Big Sky head coaching jobs. He did this as scientifically as he could. He pulled coaches on a handful of metrics relating to what coaches would see if they were to have those jobs themselves. The general areas those metrics related to were tradition, media exposure, game atmosphere, factors relating to recruitment, the sports and specifically basketball budget, and buy games. Buy games meaning games where the teams are playing up at Power 5 schools so that the program can receive some money. Idaho came in at number five as the fifth best coaching job out of 11 potential Big Sky coaching jobs. The overall list looked like this. The list itself had Weber State at number one, Montana number two, Eastern Washington three, Portland State four, Idaho five, Montana State six, Northern Colorado seven, Northern Arizona 8, Sacramento State 9, Southern Utah 10, and Idaho State 11. Now, I'm not going to go over every single factor for all those teams. Like I said, the metrics Goodman used related to things like budgets, tradition, game atmosphere, and recruitment. Idaho was knocked on our recruiting base. We were ranked at number 7 out of 11 for recruitment base. What that means is how easy is it to recruit local talent? Now, teams don't have to only recruit local talent, of course, but if a coach is going to recruit a guy from New York and that coach is, let's say, Don Verlin, he's got to get on a plane to go watch the guy play in New York. Whereas, let's say your program is in Portland. There's a lot of basketball ta- talent in Portland. You can just drive to the game from your home. Idaho was ranked number seven out of 11 for our recruitment base. We are ranked seven out of 11 in media exposure. That's a combination of 
national nationally televised games and the type of national coverage that the school gets anyway. And it's no surprise to Vandals that we often don't get national coverage. We haven't made the NCAA tournament since 1990. Why would we get a ton of national coverage at the basketball level? And the biggest knock for us was admission requirements. We were ranked number nine out of 11 for admission requirements. Now, huge asterisk next to that number nine. From a coach's perspective, the easier it is to get in the school, the better they would be ranked for their admission requirements. So the lower required SAT, lower required GPA in combination with SAT would give you a number one ranking, whereas a higher SAT and higher high school GPA requirement would get you, get you that number 11 ranking. So though for basketball purposes, Idaho's ranked number nine, and from a coach's perspective, that may not great be great. For the average alum's perspective or the average student's perspective, what that means is in comparison to the conference, Idaho wants real students. So that isn't exactly a knock. Idaho's overall strengths were by games. We're ranked number one for by games. Vandal fans know we don't really play by games anymore. That was something Don Verland has been quite clear about. He likes to schedule teams we can do home and home with. And, you know, at this point, I, I have no problem with us scheduling home and home games because we are not, we're not going to make the NCAA tournament this year. I don't know how much we gain just getting destroyed by a team like Kentucky so that we can get a few hundred thousand dollars. You know, maybe because of the sports budget problem itself that we have at the university, which is something people talk about a little bit more with football. But our athletics department did have a million-dollar deficit last year. Maybe if we played by games, that would help. But if you're just isolating the basketball program itself, it is good for our team that we're not doing a bunch of by games. We are ranked number three on history and tradition. I have absolutely no idea how we made number three for history and tradition because our program has four total NCAA tournament appearances. But hey, coaches put us at number three, so we'll take it. And we also were ranked number four for game atmosphere and number four for budget. Now again, the game atmosphere, I'm a little confused at because I don't think we have an exceptional game atmosphere. We average around 12 to 1400 fans at games. Now, when we get a lot of fans at games, we have a great atmosphere like last year against Washington state. When we had 4,300 people there, that was fun. I went to the Eastern Washington game when we had around in between 3000, 3,500 people there. That was fun, but that's of course not the average game. But again, we were ranked number four for game atmosphere. We'll take it. Um, my overall takeaway from Jeff Goodman's rankings and again, this was not his rankings precisely. He came up with metrics and he pulled coaches. The top jobs in the conference, Weber State, Montana, the top jobs were the team have been the teams that have made the NCAA tournament in the last 18 years or so. You know, since 2002, Montana has made the NCAA tournament seven times. Weber State's made the NCAA tournament four times. Well, Weber State was ranked number one. Montana was ranked number two. I don't think that should surprise anyone. Eastern Washington's made the NCAA tournament two times since 2002. Well, they're number three. Portland State made the NCAA tournament two times. They're ranked higher than us. Uh, Northern Colorado and North Dakota each made the NCAA tournament once since 2002, but Northern Colorado's, um, their birth was vacated due to NCAA violations, and North Dakota's no longer in the big sky, so they, they aren't exactly in play for this. Uh, but I, I think that people should know it's not 
the, making the NCAA tournament is is a signal of why a job might be good. But the reason the teams that are ranked above us are ranked higher than us, to me, is mostly the residual aspects of success. You know, look at Montana. They were the second best job. They made the NCAA tournament seven times since 2002. Well, they were also number one in the conference in history in media exposure and game atmosphere. They were number two in sports budget or basketball budget, and they're number two in facilities. Weber State, who's number one, they were ranked no worse than third for any category. They were ranked number one in facilities, number one in budget. They were also ranked number two in game atmosphere, in program history, and in media exposure. You look at those two programs, no question to me, the two best programs in the conference and the two programs where it'd be most fun to be a coach and probably most fun to go watch a game. It should shock no one that those two are the top two. For Idaho to be ranked higher, we're going to, first off, our facilities will improve when the basketball only facility is done. But second, it's not that different from football. We need to start winning. Now, our team this year, though three and six, we have some players who are talented. We have reason to believe in the next couple of years we will be threatening for an NCAA tournament appearance, or at least finishing in that top third of the conference. But if we want our program to be ranked better in comparison to other programs, again, it comes down to winning. Winning makes every other part of running a program easier. Vandal fans who are used to losing in the major sports know how miserable and how hard it is to turn around a program systemically when success isn't there. And that's just where we are. I want to thank everyone for listening. On our next episode, we're going to go over the two games. First, the Nebraska-Omaha game, then when we play at Santa Clara. And we'll also do our Big Sky preview, where we go over all the Big Sky teams, all the potential all-conference players, how Idaho looks to be stacking up against those Big Sky teams, and Idaho's path to what I think fans' goals should be this year, which is finishing in that mid-tier. Until then, Merry Christmas. We'll see you before the new year. And go Vandals! Go Vandals!